I trust you guys are all well. I know some of us had an opportunity to get away for a, for a little bit. I know the Janse van Regwerks had a, a really busy weekend. So I'm so glad that they could all be joining us this afternoon. So we are into our new series that Josh started off for us last week um, regarding the topic of pursuing wholeness and harmony between our thinking, our emotions, and our actions. And Josh last week helped us to see that if we have only two of these three things, then we kind of have a little bit of an imbalance. And so there is value in exploring the role of the head, the hands, and the heart so that we can assess for ourselves where we are as individuals, as followers of Jesus, and we can assess for ourselves together, communally, where we are at so that we can be more fruitful and bring glory to God. So this evening we're going to be talking about the mind, um, about our thoughts. But before we, we get into that, there's, there's something that I would like to share with you guys, a story regarding myself. Um, and, the, and the story goes like this. When, when, I was, when I was just a boy, probably, what, 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, I had... I had this accident. You see, I, I, I was at home and I had forgotten that it was soccer practice. And I realized quite late that I was going to be late for soccer practice. So I borrowed a friend's bicycle. I took my soccer boots, I tied the laces together and I threw it over the handlebars and I, and I hit the road. And on the way, my, my shoes got jammed into the front wheel and I went flying headlong over the front and I landed on my head. Ever since that day, I've been able to read people's minds. And, and I'd like the opportunity to prove that to you this afternoon. But I, I need a volunteer. Is there someone who would like to volunteer? Thank you, Grant. Now, just to clarify for everybody, we haven't had a conversation earlier today. Yeah, definitely. Okay, you can, you can stay over there, be socially distanced, but I, I want to ask you a question, um, and it relates to this, this gift that I have of being able to read people's minds. I'm actually able to, to predict in advance what your thought might be related to the question I'm going to ask you. So it's a very basic question, Grant. Now, I want you to think about any four-legged creature on the African continent and just hold that thought. Have you got one for us? Okay. Now, what I have done in advance is I have sketched an image of the exact animal that you are thinking of right now. So tell us, what is that animal? An animal, just four-legged animal. Sorry? A rhino. Now, would you believe it? 
Now, if you really want to know how I was able to do that, you can come and speak to me afterwards. <laughs> now, while you're sitting there in amazement, have you ever really thought about how well God really knows us? That He knows you right down to the intimate thoughts that you have. And scripture even tells us that he knows the thoughts that we have before we think them. Psalm 139 verse 2 says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the very well-known scripture says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So if God is as familiar with our intimate thoughts as that, then it stands to reason that we as followers of Jesus should maybe pay more attention to our thoughts. When we become Christians, we are brought into a family relationship with God and with fellow believers. And through our union with Jesus and with others, um, we are brought into this relationship by faith. But when we are brought into this relationship, we are expected to take responsibility for some things. Some things like walking in spirit and truth like living as unto the Lord, trusting in the word of God, depending on our heavenly Father, submitting to the Holy Spirit, abiding in Christ, and the list goes on of things that we actually have to take responsibility for as followers of Jesus. But all of these things can only be done if we engage our thoughts and focus the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. And so throughout scripture we see um, messages to us of taking control of our thoughts and our imaginations. We are, we are told to take every thought captive to the Lord. We are told to let the mind of Christ dwell in us richly and not to allow the thoughts of our heart to control us. And this is how the Apostle Paul encourages the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Righteous living depends on right thinking. And God has promised to keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed, the one whose mind is focused on him. That's what Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says. God promised that he would garrison, that he would place in a stronghold 
our hearts, our minds, our emotions, and our innermost thoughts as we focus our prayers and praises on Him with thanksgiving. Our thoughts play a very important role in our lives. Now, even as we look around here this afternoon, I think everything that we look at, we could declare that it started with a thought. There's a saying that goes, thoughts become words, words become actions, actions when repeated become habits, habits build character, character leads to destiny. Now there's a lot of truth in that saying, and what is interesting about it is that whole pattern of activity is triggered by thought. Have you ever done something and then you say to yourself, I don't know what I was thinking after you've done that? It kind of begs the question, how can you not know what you were thinking? Now, this, there's actually some truth behind that statement, as obscure as it is, in that there are times when you don't know what you were thinking after you just did something. Cognitive neuroscientists say that the mind has this mechanism that helps us to cope with stress. And so sometimes when we are faced with challenges like um, immediate decision-making or extreme situations or impending losses, bad relationships, etc., etc., our minds actually try to insulate themselves from the excessive strain of that situation. And so what your mind does is it, challenge, it channels its focus. And this causes a very different kind of thought process that we describe as not knowing what I was thinking. And at the end of that, it is only when what you were thinking rises into your consciousness in the form of language, then and only then do you know what you were thinking. Prior to that, the process of forming a notion, of forming an idea, is inarticulate. It's not yet formed. It is subconscious and not yet ready to be formulated into words, to be communicated about what your thoughts are. Now you must have noticed that when you are in deep thought, kind of like now, it happens that we sometimes end somewhere far away from the issue. I can see some of you guys are, are somewhere else right now. Because what happens is, kind of like Google, our minds throw up related memories or issues that are kind of like raw material to continue the thought process that you are on. And what happens is you get caught into a particular train of thought and you start chasing rabbits down holes. And this also happens when we, when we fall asleep, and that is why we dream. Uh, when we dream, our brains are connecting the thoughts that we had, kind of arranging and filing it. And what, much of what happens during all of this thought action, this process in our brains is the product of mental habits that have formed over the years of your lifetime. 
And so the way that you learn to think through these habits actually becomes part of your character. It becomes part of who you are as an individual. You as an individual have a way of being and a way of sharing your thoughts and your ideas in a way that is distinct to only you. And it comes out as an expression of your character. And so people who know you really well will expect that you will express yourself in this consistent way. And that is how people will know you, and that is how you will know people. Even though you express yourself in in different ways, in sentences, in phrases, sometimes in body language, there is a pattern about you that marks you as the person and the character that you have become over years. And it will remain that way unless something happens. And so when we hear or see an expression, then we will say to ourselves, oh, you know what, that sounds just like so-and-so. And we are reminded of who this person is based on how they think and how they express themselves. And so when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he gave them this list of things to think on in Philippians 4 and verse 8, he said to them, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he said to them, think about those things. And Paul wasn't just saying that because it sounded nice, because it sounded kind of clever. Now we know that there's actually good science to back up the value of that kind of exercise, of repetitively thinking on anything that is lovely and admirable, And part of that list. And it is this habitual thought pattern that helps us to shape our lives as followers of Jesus. And so we must repeatedly think about and dwell on this list of things that Paul gives here. Now, this phrase that Paul uses there in that scripture think about these things introduces to us an important truth. And that is that spiritual stability is a result of how we think. Spiritual stability is a result of how a person thinks. Now the original word in the original Greek that Paul would have used there for think about is logizomai. And this word logizomai means to reckon, to consider, to reason to dwell on. It's the same word where we get our English word logic from. The way the word is used here by Paul actually makes it a command and not a suggestion. He says, do this. It must be a continual practice, something that is done repetitively. This word logizomai means more than just entertaining a thought. It means to evaluate, to consider, to calculate. And so believers are to consider these qualities that Paul lists here in this verse and meditate 
on the implications that they have for us as believers so that they become part of who we are. It becomes part of our character. And what is interesting is that all of the words that Paul uses here actually describes righteous things. And he actually says, whatever is honorable, just pure, lovely. He kind of throws it open to anything, just like that. So whatever fits the parameters of the things that he gives in that list there, he says, think about those things. So what Paul is actually saying here is, let the word of God, let the Bible govern your thoughts. The list of things is to occupy our minds as a replacement to the destructive things that could occupy our minds. And so Paul is also effectively warning against going along with or just accepting lies or untruths. Believers, as we know, are in a war for their minds. We are in a war for our minds. The world system continually bombards us using every weapon at its disposal. Books, magazines, if people still read those, clickbait, <laughs> television, movies, internet, the latest thing now is influences, etc. And so the, the goal of this kind of um, anti-God world system is to control our actions by first controlling our thoughts, our minds. Now, I won't give you statistics, but you can just think about how many sexually related messages or images you encounter on your device. And you don't even need to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. And consider also the amount of violent content that we have come to consider as entertainment. Now, I'm sure that many of you have seen that documentary the social dilemma if you hadn't seen it yet good idea for you to see it so you would be aware of this system of algorithms that exist to try and manipulate our thought patterns into a particular way of thinking that will lead to a particular way of acting and so I think it is not sufficient to say that I cannot control my thought life because in Christ we have been given all that we need for life and godliness. And he has promised to supply all that we need according to his riches in glory. But what happens if we have stubborn thoughts that we really struggle with? I think Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5 kind of helps us in some way to deal with this. This is what it says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In, this, in these few verses here, Paul uses some metaphors 
to help us to understand the battle that we are fighting right now. And he uses fighting words there. He uses weapons and strongholds. He talks about taking captives. Strongholds are, are an important aspect in warfare. A stronghold is a defensive structure. Psalms 9 and verse 9 says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Strongholds in active warfare are many times high up and in inaccessible places. In warfare, high-lying areas are sought out as it gives you an advantage over your adversity. It reminds me of the wars that the U.S. tried to fight in Afghanistan and how because the local people understood the high-lying areas and the advantages that it, that it presented that they were unable to be defeated. And figuratively, strongholds are also a refuge for defense, a fortress, a place of safety. It's actually an idea that is used throughout Scripture. If an enemy comes, it's much easier to drive him away from a stronghold in a high place. And we can learn more about the strategic importance of strongholds as used in Scripture if you look at the history of the wars of Israel. So a stronghold is not a person. It's a place. So in the way that Paul is using it here, a spiritual stronghold is a habitual pattern of thought that has become built into someone's thought life. So a stronghold is a way of thinking and feeling that has developed a life of its own within your mind. And so this stronghold might take the form of consistent depressing thoughts or recurring unbelief or habitual bad temper and so on and so on. But interestingly, strongholds are also storage places. Strongholds are also places where food is kept, where water and weapons are stored in a physical combat setting. And so a stronghold has the potential to get stronger and to become more significant as more stuff, as more thought, as more fear, as more anxiety gets stored there. So feeding a stronghold with more thoughts, more bad decisions, more compromise more destructive input will actually cause that stronghold to increase and to grow and to become stronger. And so it's important to deal with strongholds as Paul instructs us here in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5. We must demolish them and take them captive. Now how do we do that? How do we strategically surround and defeat a stronghold I'd like to suggest four strategies for that and the first one is praise Psalm 32 and 7 says to us 
You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So surround the stronghold with the praise, with singing psalms and spiritual songs to God. Praise, I believe, is a powerful way to combat a stronghold. Secondly, truth. For every negative stronghold, there is a powerful way to surround it with opposite truth from God. Remember Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to discern even the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so if you are struggling with a stronghold of depression, surround it with hope. If you are struggling with a stronghold of rejection, surround it with acceptance. If you are struggling with a stronghold of unresolved anger, surround it with forgiveness. Once you've identified a stronghold, go to the scriptures and study the opposite truth of that from God. And reject the lies that have brought you to the place of being subject to that. And then get into the habit of what Paul instructs us to do there. To think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, admirable excellent or praiseworthy. The third one is prayer, obviously. And when you pray, ask God to help you tear down this stronghold that must go. And ask Him to build up in your heart a stronghold for Him. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And the last one is counsel. Speak to someone. Proverbs 20 verse 18 says, Plans are confirmed by getting advice, and with guidance one wages war. Taking every thought captive to Christ and fixing our mind on Him is a conscious choice. It is a decision that we have to make which we all have to make when problems and difficulties arise in our minds and in our thoughts, or when life's circumstances weigh heavily on our hearts. And so as I conclude, let me remind you of this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from the scriptures or seen in Jesus, put that into practice. And the God of peace will be with you.